Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources, to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now. It's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me, to discuss Season 1, Episode 11, No Holds Barred. This first-time guest, my dear friend, Rich Roney. Welcome. Hey, hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Of course, you've been on my other Superman podcast, Digging for Kryptonite, a bunch of times, including for a couple of Adventures of Superman-themed episodes, which I have referenced a number of times on this podcast, because those couple of episodes that we did a couple of years ago now really just got me so excited about and interested in Adventures of Superman. And I just felt, I left those episodes feeling like there's more. There's more for us to do, more for us to explore. And then eventually that gave rise to this rewatch podcast. So I'm really excited to have you on for this one. Again, this is No Holds Barred, Season 1, Episode 11, aired November 28th, 1952, written by Peter Dixon and directed by Lee Sholem. Here is my synopsis of the episode, a little bit of an overview, and then later in our episode, we'll give a, a more detailed scene-by-scene breakdown. Wrestler Bad Luck Brannigan, who fights for a crooked promoter named Murray, puts seven men in the hospital with a mysterious paralyzer hold. Perry White enlists college wrestling champ Wayne Winchester to study Brannigan's moves, which are really pressure point techniques coerced out of Ram, a quote-unquote swami held captive by Murray. When Wayne, who has expressed romantic interest in Lois, accepts a challenge to fight Brannigan, Clark, with knowledge obtained by Superman, helps Wayne train for the big bout. I'm really excited to get into this episode, but before that, let's talk a bit about your history with Adventures of Superman. And now we covered a lot of this when you were on Digging for Kryptonite, but for anyone maybe who hasn't listened to those episodes, or even if they did, it's been a little while, how old were you, and and what era are we talking about when you first encountered Adventures of Superman. Okay, so uh, I'm very close to the original run. I'm 67, right? Uh, I was born in 1956 when the show was first run. I probably started started watching this when I lived in Chicago, and I probably watched it 
as much as I could, say, from 1962 to 1966, 67. Now, one thing I will say, and Anthony, you, you alluded to this, we did kind of a macro-level review of the first two seasons a couple of years ago, but that was very broad. So I was thrilled, and, well, w- when it was originally, when I was a child watching it, say, eight, nine, ten years old, there was uh, a greater uh, display of the latter color seasons, I really think that at that point in time, especially in the town, the village I lived in, it was a suburb of Chicago, and I think they kind of sanitized it. I think there were some episodes from the first season they deliberately didn't show because I thought they were too dark or uh, might be too scary for young children. So I grew up more with the color seasons um, where it was a different Superman. The, The first season was more, I think this was even listed in TV Guide as a crime drama. Uh, and just like yourself, when we touched on this uh, over a couple of years ago, it was a macro-level review. I was kind of flippant. I figured, oh, I'll watch a couple and I'll go off memory. And just like yourself, I have really immensely enjoyed digging, no no pun intended, but but really peeling the layers of the onion back and studying some of these, these individual episodes. It's been marvelous. And um, I think we're going to get into this. We're going to compliment, uh, I think, two things. Chris, Christopher, I'm sorry, George Reeves as an actor and what he accomplished. But also as I watch some of these things, what they did on such a shoestring budget and with tight time constraints, I'm so impressed with some of the ideas they they presented in a 23-minute episode. So so I'm, I'm excited about this. I have not watched uh, No Holds Barred since we looked at it over two years ago. So I had to, uh, I rewatched it uh, just a few days ago, uh, watched it twice. Some things um, disappointed me, some things I, I enjoyed immensely more. Gotcha. Uh, you know, you, you bring up an idea that's that's come up in a lot of these discussions and it's always worth mentioning. I think it's easy to look at this show and especially this first season, which is very dark and very gritty and and you know, in some intense sequences of violence for what is, you know, otherwise a, a kid show. But I think it, it can be easy to look at this show and and see its limitations in terms of, of budget, production value, technology, right? To kind of see the seams literally in certain cases. But what I'm struck by far more than anything else is just what they were able to accomplish within the constraints that they had. And I think so much of this still holds up and... And that's why it's worth revisiting and celebrating. Now, a couple of things that I want to ask you, just big picture, because you know, one thing that that I've been discussing on on both podcasts is how you know how formative our first introductions to characters can be for us. And you know, we, we certainly know plenty of people, right, who were who were so uh, molded as Superman fans by the Christopher Reeve depiction, but. You know, there was this whole earlier generation who you're, who that you're a part of, right? Who had George Reeves, and so I'm just curious, and I don't know if this is something that you know you've you've pondered in depth, but I, like, to what extent did the George Reeves depiction shape how you view the character, or what you look for in a presentation of Superman or or a Superman story? Um. So I will share this, and and this always baffled me at the time I was watching these shows, because 
in that exact same window of time, say 1962 and from there on, I really watched this show for maybe five, six years, predominantly in the summer as reruns. Um, I don't remember it really being broadcast in the winter. I think it was more like, hey, kids are out of school. Oh, this will give the, the, the mothers a little quiet time before the kids get crazy. But uh, there was, I thought, um, almost a polar opposite portrayal what, what George Reeves did, and you know, I love his rendition, his portrayal of Clark Kent. To me, that's more important than his portrayal of Superman. I really like his, like his Clark is authoritative, decisive, but that was the antithesis of what was presented in the comics at that time. Clark in the comics was more deliberately uh, timid or a milk toast, or um, would avoid, you know, come up with clever excuses to run away from trouble so he could change to Superman to solve. Um, so it was a, a complete polar opposite between the two. I always was far more impressed with the George Reeves kind of assertive, confident, decisive Clark Kent. That, that, that appealed to me more and still does. So when you got to the Richard Donner movie with Christopher Reeve, and I know it's a, look, it's a, it's a performance we all love and respect and appreciate, but did you bump up against that depiction of Clark at all? Because it was so divorced from what you had seen as a kid growing up with George Reeves. Yes, yes. I mean, um, I, I definitely watched, well, as bluntly as possible, I definitely watched in the theaters at the time the first two um, Christopher Reeve portrayals. Uh, I remember working in Phoenix when the one with Richard Pryor came out and Candidly, I, I was tempted just to get up and leave the theater. Uh, um, now, there was a close, I think, um, linear uh, consistency with the George Reeves. And I've said this a few times before. In my mind, Clark is the real deal. Superman is just an extension of Clark. In, in, he's just an extension Clark is the one that is decisive and analytical and, you know, is willing to jump into things. This is in the TV show, uh, the, the Adventures of Superman. Conversely, I enjoyed Christopher Reeve's portrayal of Superman as a character, but I don't think the, the settings of the Donner films for the supporting characters hold up well. I don't even think they were consistent with, with the time in which they were there. They were kind of a little over the top, a little tongue and tickish. It just, it just uh, to me, didn't hold up well. Now, again, I liked the Christopher Reeves portrayal, and I compliment both those guys as actors. I've watched these things, um, and as you said, on one of your interviews, you said something like, you know, nobody knew that 70 years from now, people would have much bigger screens and be able to time stop it and look in the background and, and see what some of this, uh, the, the background information was. But each of those actors, I think, knocked it out of the park um, with their respective portrayals. Well, well said. And, and one of the things that I keep coming back to, the, the, the deeper that I dig, again, no pun intended into all of this, is how you know, there's, there's room for different interpretations. And, and I would argue that everything that we've seen takes a different approach, right, in terms of the the acting and and the and the writing and directing, but 
really for the most part still retains the core. Like there are different ways to approach it and and, and you see that. And one last thing, I, you and I were having lunch with about four or five other guys years ago at Venetian. And we just somehow, you and I started talking off on the side. And this was, I think, even before you started doing any podcasts. But I said, in my mind, George Reeves is always the golden age Superman. And Christopher Reeve is the, the silver age. Um, and I think, the, I think that, that uh, assignment holds, holds up well. I, I do think that is apt for sure. You know, I, I love, we, we've had we've had a version of this conversation on the other podcast. We've had many versions of this conversation off mic, but I, I always love to talk about this with you and especially to capture it for another exciting episode here because I was saying this to you off mic, I've had a bunch of great guests on the show so far. To my knowledge and recollection, you're the first one who grew up really grew up watching the show and watching it in the original era that it aired. Again, you weren't watching it in that first run in the 50s, but you were watching it in the 60s, very close, uh, far earlier than everyone else I've spoken to. You know, one common theme in a lot of these episodes so far, a lot of people, myself included, started experiencing the show in a more significant, meaningful way in the mid-2000s when Superman Returns came out and Warner Brothers put out a ton of of Superman content on DVD, including Adventures of Superman. So, you know, to to hear from someone like yourself, who's like a real, like legit OG Adventures of Superman fan, it's it's really cool. And I, I mean, I guess anything else you could share, I would love to hear just about the, I don't know, like what what was the feeling like when you were, again, I know you said it was, it was more in the summer, but like if, if you were out and you knew you were heading home to watch an episode, like what, what, what was, what were those feelings like? What was, what was the, the anticipation heading into getting to see a new episode of this? Um, well, uh, and granted I'm going back over 60 years, uh, from a memory standpoint, but I do remember my brother and I would at a certain point in the afternoon kind of know like, Hey, we got to get home right? Because they're going to, it's going to be on at four o'clock, right? And they would only show one, one show a day, right? Um, we were at the mercy of the, whatever the, the, the moral uh, criteria the, uh, the station manager had. There's a couple of episodes that I never saw until two years ago. Um, and, and uh, I'm sorry, what is it? Like the evil three or, uh, uh, there's something about like mystery and wax. I don't ever remember seeing those ever. There, there was much more a frequency of the color episodes from the last four seasons. Um, it was more exciting. There were definitely some from the first season, and you could really tell George Reeves was more trim, more athletic. Um, it was more action oriented. You know, towards the end, he started doing karate chops. I'm sorry, and I, I digressed off. I know we made it a point as much as possible to be home to watch this. And there was a synergy between my brother and and I and perhaps one or two other uh, uh, kids in the neighborhood where the interest in the show triggered interest in buying either action comics or Superman comics or adventure comics with Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. So there really was a synergy and interaction between the two Um that I, I I look back on fondly. Did did either of your parents ever watch it? No. Did they have any opinion about you watching it? I um 
It's funny you say that. And I do remember as a child, and granted, it is a different world. I can remember vividly when um, our TV um, uh, broke or failed work, and my dad had to take it to a shop to get it repaired. And we didn't have a TV for three weeks. And my brother and I were, were just climbing the walls. But uh, my parents grew up at a time, and my dad was very content to um, just listen to the radio, listen to a ball game on the radio. And now, granted, that was the environment with which, in which he grew up. Um, um, the, uh, look, um, I, uh, I've got uh, three brothers and a sister, so my mom was always more oriented on, especially at the time this was coming on, you know, four in the afternoon, she was more like, I got to get uh, dinner ready. I got to, you know, do certain things, maybe give, you know, the baby the bath and, and just get everything organized uh, prior to my dad getting home around six. So um, my parents never, I do remember, uh, you know, Anthony sincerely, and we might have touched on this. Uh, the first comic I ever really owned, I remember trying to get my dad to read it to me. And he just like, he had, he wasn't uh, a, a bully or mean or anything, but he just didn't connect with comics, you know. It was in, he was a World War II uh, chief petty officer. It, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't in his wheelhouse. No, I understand. Now that comic, this is the issue of World's Finest. Yes, yes. yes. Which I know we've talked about. One forty. One forty three. One forty three. I always want to say one forty two, but it's one forty three. Did that come before you started watching Adventures of Superman? Was it, was your introduction to Superman the comic first or the show first? The show first. Show first. The show first. And um, what uh, captivated? I mean, I mean, really reached out and grabbed me was seeing Superman on the cover. But then also this other guy that was kind of you know the same height and physical build, but you know he was in a, you know the gray and the blue uh, cape. Um, but I can remember the show was my first introduction, and that made me much more conscious of if we went to a drugstore or um, a train station and they had comics displayed. Superman was very uh, prominent, and I think at one time. I don't know if it was 40 million issues a year or more than that. You know, I think Lois Lane per month did like half a million, you know, 480,000 printed copies. So when you think he was, you know, maybe that's one month and then there was seven or eight, seven or eight titles with Superman in it. It was, it, it's staggering. And, and the, the, the economic scale or the, the mathematical scale. Now a book today, you know, they're happy if they get 30,000 out of it. Listen, in 1966, Green Lantern alone did like 325,000 issues a month. It's it's such a different world. I know. It, it It's so crazy to think about. Uh, just a couple of, of last questions about your experience generally before we really dig into No Holds Barred. One is, I know you mentioned that it was primarily those color episodes that you were seeing. Were you seeing them in color? Did you guys have a color TV? No, no. no it was black and white. It was black and white. We, I, you could def, absolutely tell the texture was different. We had a black and white set. Uh, I think we got the first color set for my family, maybe uh, 68 or 69. That being said, you could clearly see the texture 
and the background and the portrayal. You could tell the costume was different for the latter four seasons versus the first two. Gotcha. I do remember, though, you know, say being six years old or something like that and wondering, well, when I would watch the TV show, why doesn't he call his, his buddy Batman for help or something like this? So my young brain had a hard time realizing that the the setting and the environment for the comics was one thing versus the setting for the TV show. I, listen, I, I can identify. So I host a number of podcasts. One of them is devoted to Power Rangers. It's called Summoning the Zords. I don't anticipate there's a ton of overlap in the audiences of this show and that show, and that's okay. But what you have described as far as your experience with Adventures of Superman, you know, watching it as a little kid, being excited for it, having these memories as an adult that you sort of have to reconcile and, and you know, maybe half remembering certain things, not sure if, if, it, if your memory lines up with what it actually was. That's what I've been experiencing now going back and watching these old Power Rangers things, right? That I watched 30 years ago as, as a little kid. And, and it's, it's fascinating to see it with, with new eyes. And in my case, it's not even so much that there were episodes that I missed. I think I pretty much seen everything, but so much that I had forgotten or just, uh, you know, you, you view it one way as a kid and then you just come at it from a completely different perspective. And it, it's really been fascinating. So, you know, I use the Power Rangers example because it's like, I, I can, I can imagine what it's been like for you over these past couple of years since we did our, our macro level discussion and now this, to go back to this stuff that you spent time with as a little kid, but then maybe not for decades. So I know what a fascinating experience and process it can be. Yeah, yeah. And the last question is, well, I have always have many questions for you, but for, for right now, you mentioned your dad like listening to the radio and everything. Did you listen to the Superman radio show? No. No, no. okay. It, um. I think the radio show ceased being broadcast in the early 50s. Okay. Um, now, I think the tremendously fascinating thing is, and I want to let you expand on this, um, I think you read parts of that book, Superman Serial to Serial, right? I've heard about that, and I've heard you speak to it. Um, the thing I find interesting is I will say that when I would watch the show, my brother and I, were we would always make time to make sure we were home to watch it. But it uh, triggered an interest on, hey, I got to buy comics now. It, it, it prompted an interest to learn more about the character uh, in, in a different medium, just the comic books. And they were 12 cents then. Um, but I, I uh, the other thing I kind of uh, puzzled me, uh, it always amazed me how confining, you know, it was always Perry, Lois, Jimmy, Inspector Henderson. It was consistently, in my as a child, right, when you see some of the clips of that they spliced in, you think there's more background characters. You think it's really a city. Um, now when I watch some of these, I can see the stuntman. Or I can see how they they spliced in other footage, right? Yeah. And what I'm impressed, but I didn't. I wasn't conscious of that when I was a child. Listen, you want to talk about splicing in footage? I go back to Power Rangers. Half the all the action footage in those shows comes from a Japanese series, and then when the kids are out of their costume, that's the American footage. At watching that as a little kid, 
And I had no conception of that. Now I watch it and it's like, oh, but same type. And I promise I'm not, I'm not just saying this to plug the Power Rangers show. I, it really, it's, um, it, it's, it's been a very valuable journey with, with both of these shows. Because um, same type of thing with Power Rangers, where I think it's easy to look at that show and, and again, see the seams, see the limitations. But my takeaway has just been, wow, what a challenge it must be to have to marry, uh, you know, original footage that you're creating with these American kids versus this Japanese action footage. And the way that they did it for a, for a child in the 90s watching it, I loved it. And as an adult in 2023, I still love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I... Kudos to whoever had that eye and figured out how I can take two things and assemble them in a, in a, in a cohesive fashion, even though they might have been produced entirely differently. Totally. And the reason I brought up the radio show, as I've said before, the radio show remains, for the most part, you know, one of the, the last big remaining gaps in my Superman fandom. I've closed a lot over these past couple of years with these podcasts, but... Some remain. The radio show is, is still a big one. I've listened to some, but bare, I mean, I've barely scratched the surface. And I just mentioned it because in a recent episode, uh, when we talked about the, re- the episode Rescue, I had on Rob O'Connor from the All-Star Superfan podcast. And we were talking about, and this comes up actually in, in this episode that, that we're here to talk about, as well as another episode that you and I are going to talk about down the line where, you know, Clark will either reference or, or actually have contact with someone he describes as, oh, a good friend of mine. And I, you know, as I'm watching Adventures of Superman, I was like, where, where are these people coming from? And Rob did point out, I think we were, we were speaking about this, the, the stolen costume episode and the private investigator Candy, that that was a character from the radio show and you got a little bit more of the backstory. So, you know, time permitting, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to make a little bit of an effort at least to delve a little bit more into the radio show to see if there are instances where maybe it, it kind of fills in blanks. Not that it was necessarily intended to fit together into one continuity per se, but just that, you know, maybe this show was pulling a little bit more from the radio show. And again, maybe some of these questions that I have might, <laughs> might be addressed. That's fascinating. So in the stolen costume, Candy was a character in some episodes of the radio. And then I think we've discussed this a few times. That radio show helped create the foundation and the environment and the structure, right? I mean, Kryptonite, was a device really created in the radio show that both comics and the TV show and movies all latched onto. It's so funny because I I look at Adventures of Superman as sort of, you know, an unsung hero in the Superman mythology, something that doesn't always, always get its recognition, always get its due. But I don't know, the radio show might even have its, have it beat. It's like, you, you rarely hear that come up in the larger conversation, you know, when it comes to Superman, but that, that show was, was pivotal. So maybe and, we'll spend a little more time with that too. And, and to, to intrude for 30 seconds, I can remember when you and I did something probably over two years ago, and I listened to the very first ever episode of the radio show. I forget how I found it. Right. But in that one, I remember calling you and saying, Oh my God, in the radio show, he appears on, or he comes out of the the spaceship the rocket, fully grown, wearing the costume, and you can tell even by the look at my face that just floored me. I and now they retrofitted it over time, but I, I who for all these things, I don't think the people working on them at the time said, you know what, this is going to last seventy or seventy-five or eighty years. They were probably pumping it out. You know, we got to we got to meet a deadline. 
or we need some content, or look, the sponsor's on us to do this. Um, I was going to say, I think one thing that made it easy for me as a child watching the show was this was all, this was all filmed in syndication. This was not studio-backed. So that might have greased the skids for a number of smaller TV stations all throughout the Midwest. Because I can remember, even in comic books, them listing like WGN, Channel 9 in Chicago, and a certain station in uh, Kankakee, or a certain station in Gary, Indiana. Here's where you can get Superman on this on this uh, station. Gotcha. It, it's all fascinating. I, 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 I wanted to spend this time talking about all of that with you. Because I've re- I've heard from a number of listeners of this podcast who who like yourself grew up watching it and are you know uh, you know contemporaries of yourself and I, I I imagine that they probably enjoy hearing from one of their peers about that experience of of watching it as a kid in that era. We got a call, Gene Cahill. Gene Cahill is going to be on an upcoming episode. Cool. Yes, we haven't assigned him one yet, but he he is going to be on the show. Uh, he's someone we know through the comic book store Fat Moose Comics in Whippany, New Jersey. Shout out to them; they're one of our sponsors. And uh, yeah, he he cool. is is uh, you know in in the same group as yourself, and he will be on an episode coming up. So cool! Thank you for sharing that that background about your experience with the show. And now let's get into No Holds Barred. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. I have to tell you, man, I had a great time watching this episode the first time around a couple of years ago. I had an even better time rewatching it now. I actually rewatched it twice this morning. So my wife and son and uh, mother-in-law went on a trip to Disney World. Well, we, we had all gone on one uh, a few months ago and they love it so much. They wanted to go again. I, I was content to kind of hang back this time. But I had to drive them to the airport at six o'clock this morning. And so when I got back, I dropped them off. I stopped at a deli. I got a bacon, egg, and cheese on a roll. And I had a hot cup of coffee. And I came home and I, and I watched these two episodes. And then I went back to sleep for a couple of hours. And then I woke up and I watched them again. 
end uh, this episode and, and another one that you and I are going to talk about, uh, you know, for, for a later release. And, and I just had such a great time watching it. And, you know, I want to talk a bit about our overall impressions of the episode, and then we'll do our, our more detailed scene by scene analysis. One of the, one of the first big picture things that I just want to say, because I don't want to forget this, this, this made me so happy, uh, guest star alert. So one of Clark's good friends, as we find out, is this wrestling promoter, Sam Bleeker, played by actor Dick Elliott. Now, from the first time I watched this episode, he jumped out at me. It's a Wonderful Life is one of my absolute, absolute all-time favorite movies. I watch it every Christmas. And Dick Elliott plays the man on the porch after George and Mary got fell into the, when they fell into the pool at the school dance and they're in the wet clothes. I'm going to... You've not seen the movie, have you? No. I've never seen the movie. Good Lord. Okay. Uh-uh. It's all right. It's okay. Anyway. <laughs> Wrong answer, Rich. <laughs> George, George and Mary are having this, this uh, you know, romantic walk and they're flirting and they're back and forth. But George isn't making his move yet. And there's this guy on a porch played by this actor, Dick Elliott. And he's getting frustrated by George's, you know, lack of action here. And at one point he's like, why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her to death? And, and that's the guy. And so oh, I was so happy. I was so happy to see him. I love, I love that. Now I'll count, I'll add to that. Um, what's his name? Elliot? Uh, uh, yeah, Dick Elliot. Dick Elliot. And the guy that played um, the corrupt wrestling manager, Dick Elliot and the other, the, the corrupt manager were are both characters in Mayberry RFD with Andy Griffith. I think Dick Elliott plays the mayor of Mayberry, and then the other fella is one of the townsmen. So they they likewise appeared in that uh, yeah. small world. I, you know, I think the reason why I was so excited, I mean, A, I love It's a Wonderful Life so much, but also, <laughs> look, this, this is an old show. Uh, I, I've said before, I'm a huge fan of the Honeymooners from the 50s. So it's like it's not like I'm a total stranger to television of that era, but I'm not particularly well-versed outside of these couple of exceptions. So for the most part, when I come across a guest star in one of these episodes, you know, I could look them up on IMDb, but it's not necessarily ringing any bells for me per se. Here uh, it did. Here it really did. So... I, I was very happy to to see him. Uh, let me toss it to you. I mean, just as far as just overall big picture impressions of this episode, you know, what what stood out to you and, and how, if at all, has your impression of this episode changed uh, over the years? Okay. And if it has, and maybe it hasn't. No, Anthony, I don't ever remember seeing this as a child. I don't remember seeing it. Truthfully, probably perhaps the first time I remember watching it was two years ago when we did our kind of macro level uh, review. I enjoyed this. Uh, I enjoyed this. Um, I I learned, because I listened to a couple of your previous things, I didn't know this until last weekend, that at the end you asked for a criteria rating. Yes. And I really got to think about that. I got to think about that, because I think we'll agree, and I want to dig into this in its own unique uh, occurrences, but geez, there were a lot of phenomenal episodes in season one. I mean, a lot of things, you know, like uh, you might have hit it already, uh, The Mind Machine or Superman on Earth or uh, 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 The Night of Terror or Crime Wave. 
um, the stolen costume. There's a lot in season one that is extremely good. Now, there's also Moose Island. So, uh, listen, I, I really uh, I, I came around on on the Haunted Lighthouse in a, in a big way. I really did. I, I forget exactly what my final rating was. I, it wasn't it wasn't the highest that I've given, but I can, if nothing else, now after rewatching and having that discussion for episode two, I I understand why there is love for that episode. And I did hear from a lot of people who enjoy that one a lot. So, you know, there, there's an audience for it. And I, I don't know if I'm totally in that camp yet, but I definitely understand the episode and I appreciate it a lot more now than I, than I did before. The other big picture, uh, takeaway for me. And, uh, I, I was kind of surprised by this when I was doing my, my rewatches this morning was I love Perry white in this episode for me. For me, Perry was the star of, of this episode. And I, I know it's not necessarily a, a heavy Perry-centric episode, but the reason why I say this is I, I've been maybe a little bit hard on the, the John Hamilton iteration of Perry White, you know, defined mostly by that gruffness, right, and, and the barking orders. And there's an entertainment value in that, but I've come to gravitate more towards for example, the Lane Smith portrayal in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, where, yes, there's gruffness, but there's also this softer, more paternal side to the character. So I like a little bit more of that balance. And you don't really get so much of that on Adventures of Superman. It really leans more into that, into the the, the, gruff, the gruff curmudgeonly bulldog. However, in this episode, I just feel like we got a lot of different flavors of Perry. Yes, he's irritable, when Clark uh, realizes that Perry has forgotten the time uh, that they're supposed to be watching the fight. Hope those and, papers weren't important. Yeah, and, and Clark is kind of teasing him about it, and Perry realizes, he's like, great, Caesar's ghost! And he's, and, you know, he's so annoyed. And he throws the paper, he crumples them up and throws them across the room. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, you, you definitely see that, but you also see, you know, right at the jump, um, you know, we'll go through all the scenes and everything, but when he says, you know, he's going to put a stop to this wrestler and this paralyzing hold, if it's the last thing he does... You know, there's this determination, there's this this quest for justice. There's also a more tender side that you see from Perry in a couple of instances. One is where he he's put off by the the crowds. Yeah, I don't they want blood. I don't like the sound of the crowd. Yeah. Turn it down. And he turns down the volume. And that really I was surprised, especially from this version of Perry, but I thought it was you know, it, it, it gave a little bit of insight into a little bit more of who he is. And then I know we're going to, it's an important part of this. There's kind of a, a paternal, uh, in a very altruistic way. He's paternal towards Lois and Clark and Jimmy. Um, and there is a scene later on when he kind of pulls Clark off on the side and he goes, hey, you know, can't, you know, you're not you're not pr- supporting this just because of your feelings for Lois, um, and that surprised me. I mean, it was more sensitive, more. I I never credited Perry um, for kind of being that sensitive. Absolutely, and look, I've talked about how you know I wish that you know I love I love the chemistry between Phyllis Coates and George Reeves, and I wish you know I love any time there's some banter between Clark and Lois. I wish that the show had space for any exploration of a romance. And I know that that wasn't the case, but you know, you at least get a hint of it in this episode, you know, with, with, you know, Clark's potential jealousy over Lois spending time with Wayne. And the fact that Perry 
clocks that mm. and like you said, brings it up to Clark and, but does it in, again, he's not barking at Clark. He's, he's really taking a moment to, to interact with him on a, on a human level. I, again, this is not, I know there are other episodes where uh, you know, Perry White's big scoop or, 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 you know, things like that, where, you know, you would look at it as more of a Perry episode. I, I wouldn't put this in that category, but I just felt like the character was more dynamic and layered here. And you got to see more, more shades than, more the than we typically get. Yeah. And I think even when, when Perry asked Clark about it, he kind of said something like, Hey, Hey Clark, I think I know you well enough to ask this. Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't accusatory. Right. It was more concern. I mean, just altruistic caring. Um, but he, just the way he, he entered into it, it wasn't like, hey, I need, you know, accusatory. You know, I think I know you well enough to ask this. So he was looking out for both Lois's best interest and, and uh, Clark's well-being. So this episode revolves around wrestling, not the the modern wrestling that we might think of today, right? Where there are storylines and it's choreographed and, and, and all of that. And you have these outsized personalities and, and everything. This is really the sport of wrestling, right? And we open with what I'm assuming is footage from actual wrestling matches or stock footage from a movie or something like that. Did you have any sense? I mean, that I, I assume like those opening shots were not something that were created for the show. It seems like they were repurposed. I, I agree. They had, I, I truly believe they were repurposed, truly. My memory is, now I do remember back in the early 60s when once a year we would leave Chicago and come to my mother's parents who lived in Philadelphia. And I even think times when I was in high school, they did have wrestling shows on local stations here or, or in Philadelphia. And it was akin to what was portrayed in this episode. I think there's, these are repurposed um, um, film because as, as we noticed in this episode, when um, Bad Luck Brannigan is wrestling someone or when Wayne Winchester gets on the mat, there's no one in the background, right? Right, right. But yeah, I, I mean, I like the setup. It's it, is, it sounds so silly because again, I, I watched this not that long ago when, when we when we did those other episodes two years ago. But in my mind, even though rationally, if you asked me to describe this episode, I I think the wrestling aspect would have come to mind for whatever reason. In my mind, I kept thinking of this as 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 boxing, and obviously, it's not. Uh, but I went into this, I, my wires got crossed, I guess, and I went into this episode, but I had a boxing episode. <laughs> Saw the wrestling, I was like, oh, okay, right on. Uh, no, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a you know it was a cool setup for the episode. So you know you see again this repurposed film right of, of wrestling matches with the headlines right teeing up our story here. The fact that this this wrestler Bad Luck Brannigan fights for a guy named Murray uh, is using this so called paralyzer hold and and putting his opponents in the hospital. Seven men in the hospital. This is dangerous business here. Yes. So we go to the Daily Planet and Clark enters the office and, and he and Perry are talking about this. And, and this is where, you know, that the scene that I just was describing a moment ago where Perry, you know, Perry is determined to to put a stop to this. And in that same breath, later in this first season, I forget what episode it is, but there's a reference to Perry being the former mayor of Metropolis. That's in the Crime Wave episode. Oh, okay, okay. Where we get, and that's via... So that's at the end of the season. I'm excited to get to that one. And that's the episode, you know, famously that 
that used recycled footage from, oh, yeah. the, from the first and season. And kudos to them. They spliced it together. So it it was well, well done. I could I didn't remember, but I do remember that reference from one of the things like former mayor of Metropolis. So that kind of gives a little more um, impetus to his, I'm going to put a stop to this now. This is corrupt. People are, people are, are being crippled and put in, you know, uh, I'm going to put a stop to it. And there's such passion and such determination. I, we we talked about that line, and I, I tell you, man, I have never forgotten that line. It was like a throwaway line in that in that narration, in that Crime Wave episode. And to my knowledge, I don't know, and audience, if you know, tell me, I, I'm not aware of any other instance in any other medium where Perry White's past as the mayor of Metropolis is, is ever part of his backstory. I could be totally wrong, but I've gone through a lot now at this point. It seems like this was an isolated instance, but it's. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's more. Uh, well, there's probably more in the radio show. Okay. Because I remember reading some stuff about the radio show, where um, I think there was a substitute editor that came into the Daily Planet because they were there was like a, a campaign to get Perry White to um, be the vice president running mate. Uh, so clearly he had some sort of uh, either political background, prior history, or interests in politics, but they wanted him to be the vice president, vice presidential candidate. Right? Oh, fascinating. Okay. Uh, again, uh, the radio show, uh, you know, warrants further exploration, but I just, I've, I always kept that in mind and it does, you know, to your point, you're totally right. It does help to account for not not that it would have been like wildly out of character for him to want to put a stop to this, but it seemed to go beyond. Hey, we report on the news. You know, it was it was kind of another level here. And so, yes, if you factor in, well, he used to run the city. It, it totally tracks. So I I love that. What the, the funniest thing to me about this scene is, you know, Perry tells Clark he wants to bring in Wayne Winchester, this college wrestling champ. Right, he was the champ the prior year to study Brannigan and and try to get a sense of how he's doing this to his opponents. So, well, actually, two things that made me laugh. Number one, uh, we'll meet Wayne Winchester in in a subsequent scene, and uh, he was played by actor Malcolm Mealy. You know, he's supposed to be this champ one year out of college. <laughs> uh, he, I, I did the math. He was born in 1920, so he was 31 when they filmed this in 1951, so a decade older than he should have been. And I, I feel like he <laughs> looked like 40. I mean, he looked like so much older than you would expect for a college wrestling champ, right? Absolutely. He <laughs> I loved him in the part, but it was just like <laughs> supposed to be like this young kid. <laughs> yes. Yes. He looked like he was 38 years old, right? Uh and had a few years on him, right? That being said, I checked IMDB. He's only got four credits in his entire acting career. He did two episodes of Adventures of Superman. He did one something called uh, Our Little Margie, which was another half-hour um, sitcom, I guess. And then he was an uncredited actor in some 1952 feature film. That's it. That's it. Now, uh, there was I tried to get some background. Either he was a former football player or a former uh, weightlifter, and that's why they pulled him into this. And uh, I'll say this fast, then we'll move. I want to get into the nuts and bolts. But he's in this episode, and he's in the episode that's broadcast immediately next. 
the haunted uh, deserted village or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, I will. That's well. I'll be recording that one next. So I'll uh, I'll definitely keep an eye out. I haven't done my rewatch of that yet, but you know that 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 made me laugh. But the other thing about this scene, I, I got to get your take on this is. You know, Perry has this idea, bring in Wayne Winchester, wrestling expert. He can he can tell us what's going on. Clark offers, hey, my friend, Sam Bleeker, the, the promoter, I, I can ask him for some insight. And Perry kind of dismisses it. He just shuts him down. He's like, no, we need an expert. It's like, hey, buddy, how about maybe you pursue both avenues? <laughs> yeah, what's the downside? <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And of course, Clark will eventually encounter Sam uh, a little bit later, but it was just... I don't know. It it just made me laugh that he was just so dismissive, dismissive of that I, notion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, but but then Clark <laughs> Clark pursued that avenue. Yeah. And well, listen, Clark's going to do what Clark's going to do. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> but right, uh, right, right. It was just yeah. It just it just made me laugh. What I liked, if I may, uh, two things I found very interesting because Clark did do exactly what he said he was going to do. He reaches out uh, to Sam. And Anthony, this harkens back to stuff you appreciated a lot on The Honeymooners, right? So when Clark is outside the wrestling, the building that Murray operates out of, uh, he's standing, you know, kind of near the front door and the bricks are behind him and and Sam comes walking up and uh, Clark goes, uh, hey, hey, Sam, doing well. (laughs) He, but they, they, as professionals, you know, they just kept moving along, you know, uh, you know, Clark goes, hello, Sam, doing well, you know, (laughs) so he just, he picked up and they, they kept the conversation going. The other thing I liked about that scene that I I think this, and I'm going to come to this later. I think this episode was produced much earlier than it was aired. Because I, they they started giving the he- super hearing, you know, that's the first time I ever remember, you know, his his you know trying to listen through uh, the walls. So they portrayed super hearing, and there's another scene much later in here that leads me to believe that this was originally envisioned to be one of the earlier episodes to be aired, but it didn't occur that way. It was produced, I think, and it was produced with the intention of being aired earlier, but that didn't occur. Yeah, I, I actually, I do, I can check to see which uh, batch of episodes this was in. I don't know offhand, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, you might, I, are you referring to, I think it's at the end after the yeah. big rescue where Perry says Superman something, Superman again. again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like like he's such a new phenomenon, they don't have a handle on him, right? Exactly. And and it, even the way he said it, it was like, what, him again, you know? Uh, so yeah, the, the novelty of Superman, it hadn't been embedded. Now- I'm sorry to jump all over the place, but we saw in you know at the end of Superman on Earth, uh, he he kind of caught the guy and he got a lot of headlines. So Perry, you should have been reading your own paper. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Though I, that I, that I can get past, right? It's a different time. You're not bombarded with the news uh, in in you know every form the way we are now. So I, I don't know. I, I I can I can buy it a little bit, but you know, prior to that scene where where Clark meets Sam, and you're right that that flubbed line uh, was was hilarious that that very funny exchange but you're right it did it did call to mind the honeymooners it's like you just you muscle through you, and you keep going and you know there's something kind of charming about it and it's like sometimes we misspeak or sometimes we you know in real life like you miss a cue or something like that or you assume that someone's going to say hey how's it going because that's typically what people say and so you're Fine, just doing well you just like have that automatic response it like it adds 
you know, it adds a little little texture. I, I like that. I think that's cool. Prior to that scene, though, we have the the Daily Planet crew, Lois, Clark, Perry, Jimmy, uh, and Wayne uh, in the Daily Planet offices watching the fight. And Perry's got jokes in this scene because, you know, Clark spends the whole fight stare trying to see the uh, Brannigan's hands, his fingers. Uh, and when oh, he, does he have a night's manicure? <laughs> yeah. It's like this, I, like, again, just like a, a lot of different flavors uh, of Perry in this episode. And, you know, uh, you know, Wayne's on the case and, and Perry tasks Clark with helping Wayne, uh, with, with this investigation. So we're, you know, we're kind of off and running here. And, uh, then of course we have the scene that, that you, you just described where Clark is talking to Sam and, you know, between Sam's conversation with Clark and then the conversation between Clark, between Sam and the crooked, manager murray you know you get a sense about you know kind of the state of the wrestling game at the moment and and how you know kind of dire it is and how you know murray is is really the one with the control with this fighter who can and you're gonna give me 60 percent yeah 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 so i think you get a little bit of, of an insight into the into, into the stakes beyond of course the most important you know human element of these people being being hurt and, and seriously injured so like you said, we get the 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 tickets that Sam uh, oh. that Sam gives to uh, to Clark for the fight, and this then leads us to this exchange between Clark and Perry in the office and 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 Wayne, where uh, Wayne Wayne's what? Well, why don't you tell if I may earlier? Uh, oh, keep no, I know where you're going. I I, I want to let you finish your idea, please. Oh no, just where Wayne says, "Say hey, maybe Miss Lane would like to go with me," and Clark groans. It's, I mean, it's an audible response from him. It's again, one of the, one of the few instances, certainly early on, at least where you, know, you get any, any real indication that, that there's something going on or that he would want something to be. It's such a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no uh, so I was going to, I was going to let you pick it up where uh, they, the, the next match occurs and uh, I was just so surprised as a child when um, when Wayne jumps into the ring after uh, bad luck, like basically says, "I'm the best wrestler in the world." There's not. I'll even write. Gor- I'll, I'll I'll wrestle gorillas if they can get him in the ring with me. You know. Um, and then Wayne takes him down. Right. Uh, now, what are your what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Wayne Wayne displays uh, a, a bit of recklessness, but uh, but a lot of a lot of courage, I think, and and heroism throughout this episode. You know, it's one thing as we Pretty follow impulsive. Yeah, a bit impulsive. Well, he's got to you know he's trying to impress Lois here, <laughs> but you know, it's like uh, as much as you know we 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 follow Superman on on all of his exploits, but you know he has this this added level of 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 protection of vulnerability does so to see you know someone else where where the stakes are a lot higher uh you know i I definitely think it's it's compelling you know you you root for him, yes, but before we get to to that scene where he jumps into the ring and accepts the challenge, we get sort of the behind the scenes at Murray's camp about what's actually going on where we oh, meet, I'd forgotten about that I forgot so we, I know what you so mean we now. meet Ram. Uh, the the so called Swami, uh, you know, I, I looked up the term Swami, I, and and um, you know, the, you know, this comes up from time to time, right? We're watching a show that's seventy years old. Not everything, uh, you know, it would 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 play through a modern lens. And I think that in this show, when we see depictions of other of other ethnicities in particular, they 
they are portrayed in a way where we typically would not see it portrayed that way today. You know, they're typically portrayed by a white actor uh, in, in makeup and, um, you know, accents and characterizations are very stereotypical. Uh, and so I think that this character here f- falls into that. Even the term Swami, and again, I don't say any of this. It's not like, hey, let's come in and, and take the show apart. It was a different era, but I just always trying to understand and, and place everything in its context. Even the term uh, Swami, I mean, it means a teacher, like a, a Hindu teacher. Um, I, I don't, kn- I don't know that that term is necessarily still in play or would, would be used in the, in the way that it is here. I don't know. I don't know, but certainly the characterization and the casting for, for this character, uh, I, I don't think you would see unfold the same way, but what this scene gives us, right, is this character Ram, this, this Indian immigrant who perhaps they just outright abducted, right. And they're, and they're keeping him captive here. There's the scene between Ram and Murray where Murray makes it seem like, hey, we're protecting you. Like the government's out the to secret, get you. Yeah, or, or the government police. The government police, we're going to get you. I'm, yeah. I'm protecting you. Now, I embedded or I read into that that Murray has just manipulated this guy so much because they never gave any reason as to why Ram should be so terrified of authorities or police and i just uh, i just described to that that murray is deceiving him and manipulating him and keeping him in thrall so he can use his knowledge uh to help bad luck and the other the other wrestlers so this this corrupt syndicate's always on top yeah totally i mean and that's the thing we don't get the backstory we don't know if you know the, this ram came to the united states and they grabbed him right and they said hey you're you know they're after you or if I mean, we don't know, we don't, how, know. We don't know how we this came know. to be, but you know, it, it, you definitely get the sense that yes, they are, uh, you know, sort of perpetuating this notion, yeah. right, that he's in danger and they're the only ones that can protect him, and they're using his knowledge of pressure points, right, to to teach the wrestlers, Brannigan in particular, and you know, Brannigan now is going to go up against uh, Adonis, right, this this top wrestler who has the spinner move, mm-hmm. right, and so uh, Ram shows him how he would be able to apply pressure to the other wrestler's leg to disable him. But what I liked in the scene between Ram and Murray was, you know, you get to see Ram push back. I, I mean, to the show's credit, they do give the the Ram character some agency here and, 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 and a moral code of his own, right? Like he brings up this idea like, hey, if you're using, and he gets, you know, he gets tough with oh, Murray yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, if you're using this to hurt people. Like, it would not be healthy for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so I like that. I mean, I think it, it would have been easy to make this character more, you know, more more passive. I mean, he's, acquiescent. Yeah, I mean, he's being used, but he has these instances where he, you know, he is, is trying to overcome. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought that was a nice a nice little touch. I agree. I agree. And then in that very scene when Ram does assert himself, and 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 I think he does something like, "Look, Master, if you are using my techniques to harm others." It would not be good. And he kind of physically moves towards Murray, and Murray kind of calls the other guys in, Crusher and Brannigan. He calls them in, and then he says, "Hey, help him back to his room, and make sure you keep the doors locked and all that." Um, and I get, please, I watched this a few days ago, and I'm, I don't remember it, but I think there's one point when B- Bad Luck Brannigan really reminded me of the guy from the birthday letter right? He's got this silly, goofy look on his face um, where he just can't comprehend. Murray's yeah. going like, yeah, yeah, we'll take care of him. 
what is that? You know, uh, so I saw the, the, the flashback to, um, was it John Doucette or something like that from- Yeah, the slugger, the slugger character. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Kind of the dim-witted gangster. For sure, for sure. So from there, we go to the scene that we already talked about where uh, Brannigan wins again, issues this challenge, if anyone wants to take me on. Uh, Wayne, very brash, jumps into the ring, accepts the challenge, and knocks <laughs> knocks Brannigan down. I'll take you one one week from tonight. Best two out of three. No holds barred. So yeah. we get the title of the episode invoked there. And then we have one of my favorite scenes. Funny, I mean, unintentionally funny to me, where we're back in the Daily Planet offices and you know, Perry and Lois. You know they're trying to they're trying to talk Wayne out of this. It's a terrible idea. Like all of these people have been paralyzed. They're in the hospital, and <laughs> Perry goes, "Clark, why don't you say something?" <laughs> Clark, I think the like, boy can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the boy can do it, Perry. It's it's amazing. I I love you know I I love this scene because of of course. Clark's the, the, our, our hero here, and and we you know we know he's he's trying to piece this together. He knows, and and Wayne, right? As a, as a wrestler, he too, like they both have this notion that there's some trick that can be learned and exposed and overcome, right? So they know that there is a way. Um, but there is also this like we you know we know that it's it's you know Clark of course doesn't want anything to happen to Wayne, but. You know, there is kind of this undercurrent. We had that groan when Wayne, you know, mentioned, you know, taking Lois to the fight. And and so it, it just kind of all tracks when we get to the point of of Perry, you know, asking him that question that we talked about before. Like, hey, like, does this have something to do with the, he goes, the, uh, you know, the friendship between Wayne and Lois. And, and and even Clark retorts back going, hey, Perry, please, there's no green-eyed monster here. Don't worry. And I think even prior to that, Clark Clark says something like, I actually think the boy can do it. Right. But in the context of the scene, you know, their their reactions are 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 valid and plausible because it it really seems like, "Hey, what are you setting this kid up for?" Yeah. And also, Brandon's got a pretty consistent track record, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's like we I know you haven't heard this way, but like we just talked about the the mind machine and you know, it was crazy to me in that episode where you have multiple, it's like a handful of witnesses whose brains are damaged and 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 they're and they're killed, right? As a result of, you know, them trying to give their testimony. And Lois is like, well, I gotta go, you know, I gotta, I gotta do my part, I gotta move forward with my testimony. And the senator who's running these hearings is like, look, we got a schedule to keep. It's like every witness is dead. Like, how can you move forward with this? And geez, Anthony, I haven't watched that. I haven't watched that in over two years. I will say, here's what cracked me up. Now, and we saw probably the most vehement Lois we've mm-hmm. ever seen, where she basically goes, after after Clark supports it. And if I may, before I get to the Lois thing, this is what I loved most about Superman. I mean, or Clark's portrayal. He is very supportive of people. He's He's confident. And I don't think he would, you know, if he thought Wayne was going to get obliterated, I don't think he would have supported it. But he had confidence in Wayne. Right. But you saw a very harsh, vehement side of Lois going, I never want to see you again, right? Until the first two minutes of the next episode when she goes, hey, my teacher's not around. Want to drive me out? 
I know. It's 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 one of those things. I think for this first season in particular, you just got to look at each one in in, in a vacuum. But it, it, your your point is well taken. I again, I know you know it's easy to say, oh, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? I I, I would have appreciated any kind of one on one scene between Lois and Wayne, right? Because it, it becomes clear, like she seems to have. I mean, at a bare minimum on a human level, right? She's concerned for his safety, but I don't know. Is, is there, Was she attracted? Is or? there maybe something a little bit more, right? It would have been nice to have even just, a, you know, a couple of moments between them where you got any kind of sense of, you know, whether or not this was something that, that had a little bit more behind it. Yeah. Again, I understand why, you know, I'm not, I, I it would have been, it would have been surprising to me if they did that. I'm just saying like, I wish, like that's one of those things where it's like, oh, I wish like a scene between just the two of them. It's something they would have done today. Oh, for sure. You know, but then I, this might be more of the, the audience they were targeting, the fact that these were done in one, like 23 minute, something like that, right? So, and, and they were also, all the people involved were really uh, originated in the, you know, the 1930s uh, Republic B serials where you just, it's action, right? You pump it out. You almost portray it so fast, people don't pick them on plot holes. That's that's fair. That's fair. Well, maybe we're going to walk into a, a potential plot hole in, a, in an upcoming scene here. Uh, I want to get your take on this. But the the last thing I want to say about that scene, just putting my my lawyer hat on, when when Perry says it's like, all right, Clark, like if you you know if you think Wayne can do this, then this is on you. You have to accept. You know, if anything Full happens, then this is on you. And Clark agrees to that it's like, listen, as your attorney, you cannot agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, so at this point we get another instance of superhearing, right? Where Clark overhears Brannigan and Murray talking about, you know, making sure that the chain on, on Ram's door is, is latched and everything. And so Clark changes into Superman. And this is one of those rare instances where, you know, we've talked a lot about the different kinds of takeoffs, uh, for, for Superman. And we get to a certain point in the show and uh, to your point at this probably was one of the earlier ones because we get to the point in the show where Superman takes off, right? He jumps on that springboard. I'm so sorry. I, that's Okay. I, I, but this was an instance where you, yeah, a stuntman, presumably, uh, you know, uh, although I know there were instances where it was Reeves until he was injured, where he was lifted on wires. Yes. But that's what it looks like in that alley there when he's taking off. It didn't look like the, the standard oh, really? springboard, I believe. But anyway, we get to the scene where Superman bends the bars, right, uh, to, to, to Ram's room and, and he comes in and he, and he sits down, you know, cross-legged and- Ram uh, presumes that this is, he's a genie, right? Or some sort of, of, of magical mystical. being, mystical being. You know, before I editorialize, what, what, what was your read on Superman's approach, his, his demeanor, his behavior in this interaction between the two of them when they're sitting across from each other? Yeah, I had two thoughts on that. One, I thought it was a sign of Superman's respect for Ram that that basically he matched the very posture and seating that Ram had. I, I thought that's like, uh, uh, I'm respectful enough that I'm going to match exactly you on your terms. I did think that Superman talked down to him. He, you know, his, his language, I will explain these things to you, right? So I thought that was a little, I don't think he meant it to be condescending, but Looking at it through today's lens, um, he wasn't. He, he didn't elevate him up and talk to him in a common, you know, 
Uh, but I thought the seating from just from a physical body language posture was a sign of respect. I thought that the language and the choice of words and the way they were conveyed was um, not not appropriate. I, I agree totally with both. I, I don't really have much more to add other than like that's that was kind of what struck me with this where it did feel like he was was patronizing and and you know, almost belittling in, in the way that he was was talking. I mean, you must tell me these techniques. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, he's like he's very he's very calm, right? And and you know, sort of gentle and patient with him, but it was more akin to how he would behave towards a child, I felt. Uh and even just the fact that, you know, when he says you must be a genie, it's like, I don't know. Maybe Superman's like, listen, I'm pressed for time. Let me just go along with this. I'll tell this guy I'm a genie. But it's like, well, you you could ex- you could say who you actually are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I now that we're we're discussing this spontaneously, could that have been more like? Does it amplify uh, the meaning to children? Like, oh, he's like a genie. He's got powers. I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I not not to be cynical. I suspect a, again, if this were were not the Swami character, I don't think the behavior would have been the same. I, I think this probably stems from, um, you know, the, the, the person who's being depicted here, I, th- I think, but, uh, and Anthony, hard to say you've, sure. you've said this in a few times. There are some things now that you look or watch and you just kind of cringe. Like I thought that whole, I don't know what season it was one or two, that episode where, uh, my friend Superman, right. It pandered just to caricatures right. and, you know, that's the downside to the, the, these things. But again, I think this was the 1938 uh, Republic B serial. Just punch it out, right? Go speed for speed's sake. You know, and and uh, you know, whenever I bring up stuff like this, and I, I think the audience, you know, certainly knows what my intention is. I, I, I hope that they do. Right? It's never to to pick it apart. I mean, you know, because it's fine. There are a ton of rewatch podcasts out there. A lot of them are hosted by people who are on the show that they're talking about. And, you know, sometimes it can be a little grating when they're sort of tearing it down, right? Because it might not live up to, uh, you know, the again, the the, the standard of, of today necessarily. Um, again, I think conversations are, are worth having. It's, it's not meant to say it's you know, whatever, like it is what it is. It's a product of its time. It's just something that, especially watching it now, it, it definitely jumps out. It's funny, it's funny though, because The Office, which is a show that I know, you know, you're you're a big fan of as well. You know, it, it continues to be watched. Like it's, you know, had, had been on Netflix for a long time and just caught the second wave and, and so popular. But, you know, that, that comes up in conversation a lot where it's like, oh, like that would never fly today. Like, you know, certain things are, you know, not, not, politically correct or whatever term you want to put on it. And, it, you know, it's, I always bristle against that a little bit because it's like the, you know, I don't feel like the show is ever glorifying any of the inappropriate behavior, right? Like that was the whole premise of it was like, this is not appropriate. Like that was baked into it. Anyway, I, I digress, but you know, well, yeah. I'll say this fast. And I didn't think about it literally till this, this second, you're talking about other shows. This is our first ever supernatural smallville crossover because you've got winchester and we've got superman that's right that winchester name did jump out at me oh this is what i was going to say you know maybe i'm nitpicking here Uh, maybe not as maybe it's not a plot hole per se at this point in the episode superman now knows there's this guy being held captive 
behind bars and a chain against his will. I know. Who's being I know. who's being made to well, teach Why didn't he shut it down right then and there? These techniques, right, that are putting people in the hospital. Now, from a meta perspective, it's like, well, we have to get to the end of the episode. And clearly this episode is building towards about in the ring between Wayne and Brannigan. We have to get like structurally, we have to get there. But when when you have this, it's just sort of like, well, why, why could you not when, shut the shut whole this thing down d- now? Yeah. Hey, let me go over to the door. I'll rip the door off the hinges, break the chain, and I'll you know I'll do what I I'll do eight minutes in the future, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the episode. I, look, a counterpoint. I'll argue against myself. I mean, maybe it's this idea that you know Superman wants to make a larger point. It's yeah. not about shutting it down behind the scenes. It's about- Because if if Wayne wins, that shows that, hey, if you play the game right, if you adhere to the rules, that's a better message. Yeah. yeah. I think we're being a little generous, but I'm going to go with that. I think as far as what what makes this episode make more internal logical sense, I think that works. I like that. Uh, uh, listen, uh, looking at it, uh, over 70 years later, it's probably the best answer we can come up with, right? Because I pondered that also like, well, look, once you went in there and you, you know, you bent the the bars, why didn't you just go downstairs and kick the snot out of Murray and his goons, right? Well, all right. I'm glad you mentioned that. This is the this is the tragic part of this episode because you know when Superman left, he he fixed those <laughs> bars. Poor Ram is sitting there. He's like, oh, that genie, he was so nice. I wish he would have taken me with him. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know, but but it. I think it was more, if I may, I don't know. Like you said, the structure of the show. That's the way the script was written. You know, it's got to improve, build, increase. You know, Wayne wins the fight, then Superman goes back and cleans house. Um, but yeah, even even when I watched it, I thought, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Why don't you just protect the guy, right? No, you got to stay here and keep teaching them techniques. <laughs> it, it's crazy. But from there, we go to this scene in Clark's apartment where Wayne shows up. And, you know, this is where, you know, Clark starts to tell him about the pressure points and essentially starts to, to train him, as it were. But, Rich, I got to ask you a personal question. Like, when you get home from work. I know. Do you put on uh, a silk robe on top of your on top of your dress shirt and yeah. slacks. And the other thing I thought, wasn't it pretty hot? Because you got your Superman costume underneath. <laughs> I, that was such a curious choice. You know, there there are a lot of things where something comes up that I'm like, oh, that seems a little odd. I chalk it up to, hey, maybe it was sort of a, a convention of the day. But it's like, was that ever a thing? Like you put your bathrobe on. Oh, and I don't mean to harp on this, but it just seemed like such an odd it's an odd choice. Like, was it the rule? Like, oh, when Clark's at home, he's got to be in his full suit or he's got to be, but no. then he takes it off. So I don't understand. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I don't have, um, I, I don't have an answer for that. I have, I don't have an answer for that. Because it was, yeah, it was he, just was, like, he was in his apartment, basically <laughs> just with his slacks and his dress shirt, no no tie, no jacket, right? I, it, 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 I did a little bit of a pause when I saw him come out in that silk robe, right? On top of his business clothes. I Okay. I don't know. I, I Anthony, I'd have to look back and maybe that was more the style of the 30s and the 40s and early 50s. I don't know. 
maybe audience if if whether you or a parent if this was common but please let me know it just made me laugh but again we now get into this training thing and then jimmy shows up later and and, and they're working uh, there's our together. Jimmy. oh good old jimmy he's getting tossed around in this episode you know jim, poor jim we didn't we haven't talked about him he's hanging around in this episode you know the first time when they're watching the fight he tries to put the paralyzer on himself he lets out what a what a whale he yeah. lets out in that early scene uh, you know, he gets thrown around here for the rest of the episode. He's, he's mostly given Wayne rub downs. There's a lot of, there's a lot of Jimmy giving, uh, everyone actually Clark too. Like there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of shoulder bare chested, a bare chested, uh, Wayne. Yeah. Hey man, listen, it's all good yet. Yet. And, and, and I gotta say, uh, where, where are you going? Wayne built up those defenses pretty quickly. He had like six days, right? Listen, a few shoulder rubs is all you need. Yeah, I guess Kryptonian shoulder rubs really build up your 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 tolerance to these things. I guess too, once you know, like you know what it feels like, you know when someone's, you know, attempting to do it and you can and you can maybe maneuver out of it. Uh, I'll go along with that. You well, know, when I think of pressure points, you know what my uh quote unquote introduction to that was, I think it was Xena Warrior Princess. I don't know if you ever watched the show, but there was this thing like where she would do these pressure points like on people's neck and they wouldn't be able to breathe and then she would release it. Really? Yeah. So like Mr. Spock in some ways. Oh, okay. From yeah. the early, uh, the 1960s original uh, series. I'm not a Star Trek guy, but I, I, I'll, okay. I guess. <laughs> but uh, that's that's what I always think of when I think of pressure points. But uh, anyway, you know, so we have this, this whole, uh, you know, this whole, you know, uh, training bit and- we, oh, the other the thing I just wanted to mention here, because I think this, you know, this offers a measure of, of redemption and, uh, <laughs> and, and relief in this episode is where, you know, this whole business about these pressure points can be relieved. So all of these fighters who were, who have been paralyzed, it's, it's not necessarily a life sentence here. Right. And, and, and this, and, you know, Ram explains that at, at Murray's camp about uh, yes. you know, how this, how this can be alleviated. And, and it's also uh, um, reiterated at the very, very end. But um, at, at that point in time, when Clark is training Wayne, giving him, like you said, giving him a sense of this is, this is what's going to happen. Right. So he starts preparing himself. Like you said, you said so well, he gets a feeling for here's how it feels, um, both mentally and f- from his physiological standpoint. At the same time, we got Ram showing how they can uh, undo some of the stuff on on a tactical level, which gives kind of hope. Like you know what, those seven guys, we can probably we can probably do something for them, right? But at one point, I think they said those seven guys were in comas. So. Oh, I don't remember that part, but well, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, it all, it all worked out for them. There's yet, yet, yet another Perry moment, a quiet moment before the the big fight where Perry and Lois are, are in the office talking about their concerns. And again, just more flavors of Perry White where he's like, you know, Clark's usually right. Yeah. I and Lois that. is like, well, he can't be, you know, it's only human to be wrong at, at some point. And, and, and Perry says like, sometimes I wonder if he even is human. And I picked up on that too, and not both sentences, but the first sentence. You know, Kent's usually right about this, right? And well, way to go, Perry. You know, you might in the moment be angry at someone, but he did step back. He goes, you know, Kent's usually right about this. So I, I was, I, I enjoyed hearing that, even though it was kind of a quick one sentence. 
Yeah. Every time you touch that, I'm getting a little bit of, uh, I'm, I'm hearing it. <laughs> Do you need to adjust it, the microphone? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> Stop touching it. <laughs> this is our first in-studio guest audience. This is very exciting. This is the best audio quality we've had yet. I've been very pleased with the results we've been able to achieve through all of our virtual uh, recordings. And uh, hopefully the audience has has uh, agrees and has enjoyed and has been able to hear everything clearly. But it's you know it's never the same as when you can have two people in the same room uh, on the same types of microphones And it's together. also, if I may, so enjoyable just to bounce off our body, you know, of the, our reactions, our, you know, the eyes, the the gestures, and even the tone of voice. It's it's more impactful uh, across the room. I only wish, you know, because we have the video component, we should have dressed the part. We should have we should have thrown on a couple of bathrobes over our <laughs> over our regular clothes. <laughs> but yeah, that's that scene again. I not to, not to not to rehash, but just with Perry, you see, he runs the gamut in this episode. You get the. The irritable curmudgeon. You get the 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 more sensitive side. You get the paternal side. You get this unknowingly insightful side of like he might not even be human. It's like yup, it's right under your nose, buddy. I, I just I, I love I love the the way Perry is portrayed here. So now to our our wrestling bout here. Wayne wins. He's able to withstand the paralyzer hold and is able to 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 win backstage in the uh in the dressing room, you know, more more rub downs and all that. And I, I I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about this because Clark once again uses his super hearing. He knows that Murray's gonna go and 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 take care of Ram. But before Clark can leave, Sam, good well, old Sam enters. I, I I was also before I what I thought was interesting was when Murray like criticizes Brannigan he goes, look, I don't know what's going on. I kept using that hold, and he just, the, this kid just keeps grin. This kid keeps grinning at me, right? Um, and 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 even was it was the longest like sit down on the mat. Finally, like uh, Sam like blocks him and pushes him off. Uh, or when uh, I'm getting all my names goofed up, Wayne pushes him off. But um, yeah, uh, I thought now we're right up where where you were referencing where. They're back in the dressing room. Sam goes, I got my next, next star candidate. And I think earlier in the show, um, Murray kind of said something like, look, I want to shut this down fast because Sam's going to start bringing these college boy wrestlers. And these guys really know how to wrestle. So he really wanted to like obliterate Winchester. Um, sorry, a couple of things that I should have said two or three minutes earlier. No, 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 it's all good. But it's just what made me laugh and what made me think of you is – Sam unknowingly gets in Clark's way, right? He wants he wants to sign Wayne, right? And and assumes that Clark is his manager and that he has to go through Clark, right, to make a deal with Wayne. And, you know, Clark's trying to get out of there. He's got to save Ram. He's got to save Ram. And, of course, this calls to mind the the Night of Terror episode that you and I have, have laughed oh, about oh, many Ms. times. Like when Miss Backrack is is just slowing him down and he's, he gets so impatient. I was floored. I could not... You know, when I when I watched this for the first time this morning, first time in two years, I I, I didn't remember, and I assumed I was like, oh, I'm sure he just impatiently like blows past Sam. I couldn't believe that he actually stayed and talked. Yeah. Like, well, why don't you talk to Jimmy? Yes, yes. Why don't you guys work it out? Yeah. <laughs> and then he they leave the room, and off come the glasses, and yeah. Although maybe this speaks to to his his feelings, right? Like in Night of Terror, Lois was in danger. He had, you know, he wasn't going to waste a second. Not that he doesn't care about Ram, but 
Man, you know, it, maybe it's not quite the same level of urgency. Uh, maybe, maybe Ram can get knocked around a little bit for a few minutes. And Ram, you know, you talk about, again, the sort of the grittiness of the first season. You know, they're holding, you know, when, when we get to Murray's oh, be, gym. Before you do that, what I love, did you see all those gorillas? Uh, you know, the guy with the top hat and the caricature is running towards the car, right? <laughs> And they all pile in this car. And these guys, these guys like their beef. I mean, those other wrestlers were not svelte. Um, but if you notice, when the car pulls into the alleyway, they never put it in park. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> it just cracked me up. They all pile out of it. And then it just starts rolling back. But... You know, it, it, again, going back to those, kind of the, the 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 violence of the first season. You know, when we're there in the gym, you know, they're holding Ram's arms behind his back, twisting it, slapping him around. It's you know, it's it's not to be honest, it's not the most violent thing we've seen. The monkey mystery episode opens with a with a whipping scene. So I haven't seen that. I, I even uh, two years ago, I didn't watch the monkey. It's a great. Uh, it, it's a great. Dan Greenfield and I, we, we talked about that one. We had. I know. I just mentioned a very uh, grim scene, but the, most of the rest of the episode is not like that. And we had a lot of fun uh, and, and uh, a lot more laughs than I expected we would have talking about that episode. But anyway, uh, so yeah, you know, he's kind of in dire straits before Superman shows up. But I, I want to jump back just for a second to uh, Perry and and. And, and Lois, right? Like after the fight and Clark hasn't shown up yet and Perry's trying to get a hold of him. This is where, I don't know what to make of this because- Because uh, I, yeah. I think I, we're going to say the same thing. Where is Kent, you know? Uh, and then Perry kind of goes to Lois. If I know anything, he's going to go over there and he's going to tear that information or he's going to tear it out of Murray. And I was wondering, where did this come from? Because he did say something like that. Uh, if Kent's not as, I bet he's going over to Murray's and he's going to rip that information out of him. And that really surprised me. That, that's the thing. And I, it's a little, you know, especially when you look at the the totality of the first season and, and I'll continue tracking this as we get into the second, it, it is a little tough to reconcile because like we've said, and we've used the same words and I, I, I quote these words a lot in these episodes, again, how the Reeves Clark is very confident, very authoritative, right? Very assertive. And you see that a lot. And here is an instance of Perry recognizing that, right? Yet there are other instances, and I talked about this when we did the Mind Machine episode and the whole bus rescue sequence where, uh, again, I don't need to rehash the whole thing, but Clark needs to get away to change into Superman. So he says to Lois, like, oh, she wants to go after the bus. And he's like, oh, well, what about that lady who's in that car back there? And, you know, she reads that as like, oh, like you're scared, you know, to come with me. So I was like, okay, fine, go help the lady. Uh, so, like, there are instances like that where he displays what might be seen as reasonably seen as cowardice. But then you have something like this where they have this perception of him as, as this badass who's just going out yeah. to to knock some heads. So, yeah, it's a little it's a little tough to reconcile all of that. But at the end of the day, I think where maybe it breaks down a little bit is in terms of like what people's views of him are. Sometimes I think that's where it maybe it gets a little. It, it does not totally, it doesn't always totally track, but in terms of his behavior <laughs> and, and what we like, what we gravitate towards in his version of the character, I, I think that's a, that's a clear through line. And then we get the big Superman oh. action sequence. Go and, for and, it. No, and I was going to say, I think this is the high point of this episode. Uh, so Ram is being tortured and, and you're right. It, it, the way they portrayed it, you've got like these six or seven 
bruisers, gorillas, you know, and they're twisting his arms behind his back and they're slapping him around. I just loved that that one thing when Reeves comes through the room or the door, vaults over the railing or says something like, hey, boys, the party's over. And that was so well choreographed, right? And when I watched it this time, now I could see very clearly when the stuntman, but they spliced it so well that there wasn't a pause. I mean, it was very fluid, very tight. And and this is, I think I said two years ago, um, Reeves used to box. His, his mother made him quit boxing. Um, I think he got his nose broken like eight times. But you could see very well in this when he takes Murray and he clocks him and you know his positioning, his 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 athleticism was well portrayed. So, and you referenced this like a minute ago. I really think this action sequence. I think there's three fantastic action sequences in the whole first season. The bus with the the mine machine was very action oriented, very exciting. And my God, what they did so well with a a shoestring budget was fantastic. Same thing here. It's choreographed, I think, extremely well. The way he jumps over that railing and just gets into the thick of it. And, you know, hey, he's not a kinder, kinder, gentler, sensitive guy. Um, And then later on in in, uh, Crime Wave, when they splice so many things together. (laughs) Yes, yeah. No, I, I I agree with all of that. I, I love this fight sequence. I love when they one of the bad guys throws the barbell at him and it just he just tosses it off right back. And I thought that was great. Yeah, the stuntman is is obvious. We've seen this now in a, in a bunch of episodes. I'm, I mean, I'm noticing it. You know what? It, it's funny because when when I did that binge a couple of years ago, it was a binge. I mean, I watched those first two seasons in a pretty compressed period of time. I mean, a few weeks maybe. So you know, for 52 episodes, it was a lot. And so a lot, I'm sure there were a lot of details that I missed or things that blurred together or things that I just outright forgot because the, the obviousness of the stuntmen in a lot of these scenes, I mean, I, I noticed some of them the first time around, but I, I like, as I'm doing my rewatch for this podcast and there are a lot of times like, oh man, like that is so apparent. Right. When I watched it two years ago, there was one scene when I, I was conscious that it was a stuntman. When I rewatched it last Sunday, I was more conscious of the stuntman. But I compliment, boy, how they the edited that and made it real crisp was well, well done. Um, I was going to say the thing that surprised me in the majority of the other episodes, there's only one bad guy. Or like you said, in the mind machine, there were three that he fights. This is one where they set, you know, they used that wrestling room and it was really a brawl. Uh, look, we say this in a lot of these episodes as we're talking about season one, that this was a Superman who engaged in fisticuffs and it's so viscerally thrilling to watch. Now, I don't know what, how do you account for this? Do you, you know, you, you, before you said that you look at this as the golden age Superman, you know, the golden age Superman didn't have the full power set and power levels that the the later incarnations of Superman would. Do you look at this Superman in in the Reeves show as just a, a, a depowered enough version that he can punch someone and not kill them? Or do you do you assume, well, he's he's pulling his punches as no, he's doing uh, this? Uh, the former. Uh, in in my perception, it's more akin to the golden age where he can punch him and and not 
obviously he's got super strength, but he doesn't have the super strength of the Silver Age where he can juggle planets or, you know, move the moon. Um, so I, I didn't see him holding back. Uh, again, uh, I thought both the mind, the boss episode and this were probably the, the best action-oriented um, sequences. Yeah, no, I, 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 from what I've rewatched recently, I, I would definitely agree with that. So he, you know, takes care of all of, all of Murray's guys and Ram, you know, is nervous, right? About, about being apprehended by the authorities. And, you know, Superman has this moment with him where he's like, listen, you need to fix what you, what you did. Right. And they hear the knock at the door and, and Superman's like, well, you know, don't worry. Like nothing. I give you my word. Like you'll be okay. And then he runs away. <laughs> And again, I'm just thinking if I'm Ram, he's already had this one instance where Superman comes in, presumably bends those bars back as he leaves. And now, you know, tells him it's going to be okay, but doesn't stick around. Of course, you know, we know he's changing into Clark and it's not even the authorities. It's, 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 it's Perry, it's Perry and, Lois and, and Lois and Jimmy and Wayne, you know, and, and that's when, of course, we get the revelation that he can fix what, what he's done and, and Clark shows up and the, if there's one off note is it the platitude at the end? Yeah, where Lois <laughs> makes a remark about how, you know, Ram being able to undo what what had been done with those pressure points is like magic. And there's Clark saying, like the only real magic, the magic of knowledge. That drives me nuts. That that What is, was that? I that is that that drives me nuts. I thought about that when I was driving over to your home. Like, well, wait a minute. That is so contradictory, right? What did you guys need? You wanted to have a bookend and close it, right? You know, the only real magic, the magic of knowledge. That is so, look, magic is mysterious and things that can't be explained, and knowledge is stuff that can be explained. That's why it's knowledge. Yeah, it, uh, look, I can appreciate they were probably like, we need a button for this episode. <laughs> like, we need something to get us out. I feel like some sort of, uh, you know, wrestling pun or uh, something like that. So, uh, something would have... Would have uh, would have sufficed there, but yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I love this. Like I said, that was really the only uh, again, other than what we talked about, a pr- problematic depiction of the Ram character. But other than that, really from a story perspective, that was really the only thing where I where I cringed and I'm like, oh man, like that's pre- pretty pretty lame. But otherwise, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, before we give our rating, our fedora rating, was there anything else that we that we, we were pretty thorough? <laughs> was there anything that we missed? Any any aspects of the episode that we didn't discuss that you wanted to? I, I can't think of anything. All right, then it's time. Out of five fedoras, how many would you give No Holds Barred? Either three and a half or four. Okay, right on. Well, you got to pick. Oh, okay. Then, <laughs> I, you know, I almost let you go. But in I'm that like, range, no. in that range. I'm ambivalent, right? Uh, well, do I, can I, my, is it graded against the first season or the entire series? Oh, that's a good question. No one's asked that yet, I guess. See, it, uh, while you're thinking about that, there's a lot of good episodes in season one. The Mind Machine, uh, The Stolen Costumes, The Secret of Superman, Crime Wave. Uh, your, 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 your question is more than valid. I guess in my mind, I've been looking at it as kind of just like a, absolute scale really against the whole series like in my mind from the color episodes that i've seen i expect those will be my lower same here lower rated ones as we're moving forward 
so so I am sort of taking them into account as I'm as I'm thinking about mine. On the generous side, I'd say four. But part of me is leaning towards 3.5. Okay. You know what? I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm just being generous. Maybe I'm just so happy to have you here in studio to having this conversation. Or or a, a, an interesting Perry episode where you saw these nuances yeah. and shades of Perry. I mean, the, the wrestling background kind of turned me off. Okay. Uh, it looked kitschy, you know, compared to the 50s. Um. I loved the stuff with the the growth of Perry or the other aspects of Perry. Um, I thought the portrayal of Ram. Um, I'm using, looking through it through today's eyes, and geez, Anthony, I, I don't know. I, I hate. I can't give you one single number. It's going to be three and a half to four. Okay, me. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a strong four for me, like a strong four. I really can I ask something? I have like you this. given out so far? You've done what 10 or 11 or 12 of these have you given out any fives i gave out a five for uh the mind machine really i believe you know as i as i'm getting deeper into this i say to myself i really need to be writing down what my what my ratings are <laughs> or maybe there's some audience member out there who's been tallying them that'd be great so uh, you gave mind <clears throat> machine a five yeah i really liked i think that was i think that was the one that i gave a five i'd have to go back and, and check i've given you know, Night of Terror, I rated very highly. I forget where that came in. Superman on Earth was very high. I was a little stingier, though, at the beginning. I, I've loosened up a, a little bit. Um, so initially, I was saying to myself, well, I know what my fives are. Like, I know what my absolute favorite episodes of the entire series are. So if it's not that, then it can't be a five. And I was like, ah, that, that might be a little bit too stringent. So it, it can kind of ease off a little bit. And uh, so I've been a little more generous, but I'm going to say a strong four for this. I just, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it a lot. And the Perry stuff went a long way for me. And again, just kind of getting even the, the, the barest hint of any kind of romantic interest from anyone on the show. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pondering. So I think it's a 3.5 for you. I, I don't want to speak for you, I, but I feel like in terms of what you've expressed, I feel like, you know, uh, that's okay. Let me ask you this, because, you know, there's another episode that we're going to be talking about. And, you know, maybe you could kind of use that as sort of a, of a basis of comparison. I'm, uh, again, I've got things I like in that. And think, there's a broader uh, delta between what I like and what I dislike. Um, I, I don't want to, I want to let us get through it. And I, I'm, I'm more definitive on my grade on that one. But now you're making, see, here's my dilemma. There's a lot of... I think extremely good episodes in season one. And they're my f favorite episodes, as you know, there's two in season two that I would watch them 50 times, each of them, and they're always going to get a five. Yeah. Um, there's some extremely good ones, like Superman on Earth, for what they did in 22 minutes was phenomenal. I think I gave Superman on Earth like a three and a half. I have to go back and listen to that. Again, look, I'm, I'm refining the- You stingier at the start. I, I'm refining the, re the rating system. I, you know, in, in having this conversation, I think, I, it seems like, I, I think I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. So if I give it a four and you give it a three, five, I think that, I think that tracks. But, you know, don't, don't sweat it. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah okay. Well, listen, um, 
Uh, I'm going to listen now. I've only listened so far to two of your uh, uh, The Adventures Continue, or another exciting episode. I'm going to go back and just listen to like the last five or six minutes and, and see what you what you attrib- ascribed to each of them. Um, I agree with you on the mind machine. I agree with, I agree on that. Because what I, if I may, not only the action, but kind of my, my, my ability to suspend disbelief was that guy had a machine that could see 25 miles away. I know, I know. <laughs> but all right, look, I'm trying to end the show. <laughs> Sorry, we're done. We're done. We're done. So Rich lands somewhere between three, three point five, and and four, and that's fine. You know, we had uh, one of our guests uh, tweaked the system, and I allowed it. gave it a gave something x number of fedoras and a tie. So he started throwing. He wasn't ready to give like a no, full other fedora, please, but uh, that's too much var- variance. Okay, I, too much I, I variability. Won't, I won't throw that in. But all right, somewhere you're somewhere in that range. I'll give it. Give I'll give it three point five, but a silk bathrobe. Perfect. That, that, then, you know what? And that's how you put a button on an episode. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thank, thank you. you. This really was a thank lot of fun. You. Really, really, truly, I enjoyed this. So thank you, Rich. Thank you, audience. As always, we will be back in two weeks with the next installment of another exciting episode, Adventures Await. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.